You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Uh, this program is, is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Welcome. Well, hopefully welcome. Now, interesting week. I want to look at a few things this week. Not that it's going to change much, but it will make me feel better. Now, I'm interested in the concept of uh, Australia in 2020, but before I do that, I better define what anarchy is all about. Anarchos without rulers? How do you uh, create a society without rulers? Well, this is what that's been the issue for thousands of years. It's very simple. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the capacity to determine the lives of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people. You know, you may get the itch, you don't like somebody in Iran and you kill them in Syria. That's unlimited power. That's the way it goes. So it's about inequalities in power and wealth. It's about devolving power, a fancy word for sharing power, and it's about holding wealth in common. So megalomaniacs like Mr Trump and Joseph Toscano can't get their levers on the hands of power and do what they like. It's about sharing power. So if you're interested in those concepts, keep listening. If you're not, keep listening because you may learn something. I doubt it, but you never know. Now I'm interested in the concept of identity and geography in Australia in 2020. Now just in case you think this is some 101 uh, lesson, University 101 lesson in geography, it's not. Because I think we really need a dose of reality. Because I think most radical activists live in la-la land. And we live in la-la land for a reason. And that reason is that we really have very little contact outside our own little self-created bubbles. And everybody outside those bubbles is somehow wrong and the enemy. And in a society where history doesn't matter, where the past is ignored, and we'll talk about that later on, I think it's essential that we understand what type of society we're in because we just can't identify ourselves as Australians because there are many, many groups. I don't like using the word tribe, but there are many groups 
distinct groups within our society. And when you look at identity and geography, you can break down these distinct groups into five segments, five segments, or five different groups of Australians. And interestingly, it's to a large degree, it's dependent on geography. Now, every generalisation has exceptions, and I'm sure there are many, many exceptions to the generalisations we're going to draw, but a generalisation is about about the majority in a particular uh, group. So what's the first generalisation? What's the first group? The group that you and I are familiar with. Well, some of us are familiar with. That's the CBD mob. All those wonderful, professional, university-educated people who tend to congregate within about five to ten kilometres of the CBD of the major cities that hug the coastline of of, uh, the continent of Australia. And obviously there are exceptions, but in the main they're professionally educated, Uh, they've got reasonable jobs, stable incomes, a bit younger than the uh, national demographic, and are very socially progressive, very socially progressive, and they've been involved in many campaigns uh, which have opened up the society and made life better for a significant number of uh, people on the margins and minorities. But they are exceptionally economically conservatives. They are the inheritors of the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution which has swept this country, which leaves them with disposable income, which they then invest in getting a second property in some cases, they invest in a lifestyle in many cases, they invest in the share market. So you've got the socially progressive economically conservative group hugged around the CBD of the major cities in this country. Now, around that belt, you have what I call the real, and always watch out when somebody says real, the real middle Australia. Now, these are people a little bit older, a little bit more financially secure, a little bit more conservative, Yes, look, uh, the producer's leaving the studio and I have given her a Lebanese zucchini as a present and she was going to leave it with me. I'm not having any exploding zucchini in this bloody studio because I'll be here alone for the next 48 minutes. So get out with your zucchini. Now, getting back to a serious thing, you've got this, uh, you've got this ring. You've got this ring of uh, middle Australia, again, mostly in the major capital cities, uh, within about 10 to 25 kilometres of the uh, CBD, people with mortgages, good jobs, relatively stable, investment income, and obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but in, in the major, people with a future in this country, part of the investment class to a significant degree. And again, these are people who in the main are economically conservative, 
because they are the beneficiaries, as I said before, of the corporatisation, globalisation, you know, um, deregulation, privatised revolution. And in the main, not as socially progressive as their younger cohorts that live close to the centre of the city. Then outside this 20 to 25 kilometre radius, you have the great bulk of the population. And this is the third group. This is a significant group. It's the most rapidly expanding group. And it consists in the mind of uh, migrants or immigrants and their children and Australians who have found themselves to a significant degree priced out of the property market who find themselves that they need to go out further and further in order to be able to afford a mortgage or rental payments. This is a significant proportion of the population. I think it'll be over 50 to 60% of the population living in these areas. Poor resources, poor public education facilities, poor infrastructure apart from the... uh, the uh, corporate metropolis where you go to, you know, spend your money, buy your stuff from all these corporate-owned franchises. Um, Struggling from day to day. Not having disposable income to invest and uh, benefit from the uh, corporatisation, globalisation, privatisation deregulation revolution which has swept the country over the past 40 to 45 years eking out a hand-to-mouth existence reliant on poorly paid jobs where both members of a family if there's two adults in the family uh, need to work in order to pay the bills especially in rent and mortgage and these are areas which to a significant degree are not socially progressive because they don't actually have the time and have the luxury of time and economic stability in order to, you know, uh, get involved in things. They spend most of their time worrying about the next bill, where the next electricity bill is, gas bill, rates bill, rent bill, mortgage bill, kids' education bill, although we're supposed to have three education, uh, health bills, although we're supposed to have a Medicare system which is supposed to provide a safety net, interactions with Centrelink uh, when they lose their job, problems being on short-term contracts with uh, you know corporations who've got all the power and the list goes on and on. And in these areas... On the outskirts of the cities, well, about 25, go from about 25 to 50 kilometres from a, a CBD, you have a, a group of people who are a majority of the population who are harassed, pushed around, have poor prospects for the future, who may spend all their working lives trying to pay off a mortgage, who are under a lot of economic pressure. And I think they're, they're the biggest group in this country. And these, these are areas where people tend to think of the other to a significant degree 
as the problem. Not the fact they live in a capitalist society, not the fact that they're de-unionised, not the fact that uh, legislation has been passed in this country to make uh, union activity almost a criminal activity, and the list goes on and on. Then outside this, you have the regional areas, Group 4, and the regional areas have got two groups. There's major regional communities, major you know, um, cities, and the rest of regional Australia, which is in a crisis. Irrespective of uh, climate change, irrespective of the fires which are sweeping across this nation, irrespective of this government, the federal government's inane and inadequate piecemeal contemptuous response to this disaster, irrespective of all that. We have regional Australia struggling. And to a large degree, this struggle that we see in regional Australia outside a few major regional cities, which do have work opportunities, is directly linked to privatisation where we have seen governments at the state and federal level withdraw themselves, that's right, withdraw themselves, withdraw their import into these regional areas. And it's no, it's no exaggeration to say that with, with a lack of uh, work opportunities, with a lack of any opportunities the issue of drug addiction, both legal and illegal, is becoming a major issue in many of these regional communities which have minimal, minimal hope. These are communities which have basically been... And in this type of society, you tend to blame the other. You don't tend to blame the government of the day. You blame the other. I mean, the other is responsible for your misery, the person of a different language, a different religion, dresses differently, thinks differently. Somehow, they're responsible for this crisis in regional Australia. But the crisis in regional Australia is directly linked to privatisation because with privatisation of major assets like telecommunications and major financial institutions like the Commonwealth Bank, comes the loss of cross-subsidisation. Now, cross-subsidisation is a fancy word to say we're all part of the same community. And that people in built-up areas or urban centres paid a little more to ensure that life in smaller regional centres, smaller regional centres had had community facilities like health centres, etc. But with privatisation, what happened is that flow of money into regional centres, that cross-subsidisation from the rest of the community to ensure that regional Australia had a reasonable lifestyle, has dried up. But the, the tragedy is that in this group, it seems to be that it's not government policy they don't blame government policy for their uh, situation, but to a significant degree, they blame the other for their situation. And then you've got rural Australia. Now, we do have, and this is the fifth group in our society, I mean, so, uh, rural Australia, we have this fantasy about the 
farmer, the grazier, taking on the environment and nature, carving out an existence from the land and, you know, making a buck and supporting their families. Well, to a significant degree, policies which have been introduced by successive federal governments since the Second World War have turned rural Australia from a society of so-called yeomen, in inverted comma, farmers, which means independent small farmers, into agribusiness and corporatisation, corporatised agriculture. And the tragedy is this corporate agriculture and agribusiness buys up the water rights of the privatisation of water, buys up land as people are forced off their lands because they have no access to water, We see the and we see the shrinking of economic viability of regional centres as government uh, and uh, corporate institutions uh, close their doors. So what we see is this hugely conservative, both socially and economically, a group of people who are being ripped apart ripped apart, sold to the lowest bidder, not the highest bidder, by government uh, policies which support agribusiness and corporate Australia at the expense of uh, smaller farmers. So it's no wonder that the dairy industry has shrunk in the last decade from 20,000 dairy farms to 6,000 dairy farms. And it's no wonder across the country we are seeing people just walk off the land in increasing numbers as banks foreclose and corporations snap up land and water rights at bargain basement prices. So to a significant degree, how you think, how you vote, what your worldview is, is determined by both geography and economic circumstances. And unless we as activists understand that we need to reach outside the bubbles that we have created for ourselves, nothing will ever change. It's very, very easy to think you're perfect and you're right, you're always right and everybody else is always wrong. And the beauty of social media is you don't really have to interact with anybody except people who agree with you. And those that disagree with you, well, you block them, don't you? You block them. They're not your friends, are they? So think about it. Five distinct groups in this country and to a significant degree, the way we think, the way we act, what we do, is determined by both geography and current economic circumstances. You've got the CBD mob, 5 to 10 k's from the CBD of the major urban centres. Then you've got the middle Australia, people with strong economic foundations. Then you've got the great bulk of the population living outside this 25-kilometre radius who are struggling on a day-to-day basis, then regional Australia, and then rural Australia. 
Each has its own distinct problems. But what unites all of us? Irrespective of where we live, irrespective of whether we're socially progressive or not, irrespectively of whether we're religiously inclined or not, irrespective of whether we're activists or not, is the fact that ultimately we are all oppressed by a system which puts the interests of the few, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and the interests of that small group of people, about 8 to 10% of the population, who have disposable income, to take advantage of this country's investment-friendly laws, whether it's franking credits or negative gearing or many other things you can do if you've got disposable income, at the expense of the other 90% of the population. That is what we have in common. And unless we are able to break down those boundaries and recruit people, especially those who live outside 25 kilometres of the radius of a CBD and in regional towns and to a lesser degree in rural Australia and actually highlight the common, what we have in common, not what divides us. Nothing will ever change. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And as I said before, in 2015, when we set up public interest before corporate interest, for the many, for the few... We're not, you know, although we're interested in recruiting people across the country, whether it's rural Australia, regional Australia, outer suburbs, middle middle suburbs, CBD, we've put a great emphasis on attempting to reach people in both the outer margins of the urban urban centres and regional Australia. So if you do want to, you're interested in public interest before corporate interests, you want to join, easy to join. Download the application form, pipsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. We currently have 404 members. We need 550 to apply for registration as a federal political party. Hopefully with your assistance, not without your assistance, with your assistance, by becoming a member, we'll be able to apply for registration by September and maybe then we'll be able to put a bit of pressure because at the end of the day, and they don't care how you think. They don't care how often you protest. All they care about is about whether you're going to gain the reins of parliamentary power. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now let's move on. As I said before, it's 2020. Very positive year. Look, I could sit here and give you a litany, you know, of uh, problems and not provide any solutions. But what the Anarchist World this week does is provides solutions, not just intellectually, but in a practical sense. There are many issues that we're involved in. There are many issues that we uh, promote. And obviously you're welcome to join any of them. And uh, just in case you're a bit of a hothead, sorry to disappoint you, we work within the current legal parameters. Okay. I mean, there's a great geography and identity. Irony. Look, you don't have to be a genius. 
you don't have to be a genius to uh, get a bit of a laugh about uh, world politics and Australian politics, although it's so uh, tragic. It is very funny. It is exceptionally funny. Now, don't get me wrong, as an anarchist and an atheist and an anti-militarist, you know, I'd be the last person welcome in China or Iran. Last one. But I really have to laugh when we as a society, especially Australia, because we're really good at taking the high moral ground, take the high moral ground when it comes to human rights and human rights violations. It's, you know, this week it's Iran, next week it'll be Udnadatta, who knows? Not that Udnadatta has done anything. Um, but I really have to laugh because let's look at a few things about our own country. That's right. Raids on the media, including the Australian Broadcasting Corporations and some corporate-owned media outlets by the federal government, using the 1914 Crimes Act, which was passed to try to destroy the anti-conscription movement during Australia, in Australia during World War I, a, a movement which triumphed in two uh, cons- conscription votes in 1916 and 1917. Raids on the media. We've got them in Australia. Not just in Iran and China and Hong Kong. Encryption laws, we've got them in Australia. Whistleblowers on trial for disseminating information which the current government wants to keep secret, facing decades in jail if they're found guilty in court. Court cases currently going on incognito. You don't even know what's happening in these Cases because there's a blanket of so-called security pulled over there. Happening in Australia. Refugee processing centres off the mainland. Some of the most indescribable tortures legally meted out to individuals, not because they're criminals, but because they had the audacity to apply for refugee status. The cruelty involved is indescribable. We've now even had the, you know, the the anemic medivac law removed, courtesy of Senator Lambie. I don't know what she got in return, but let's see what we'll find out. Then we've got the climate change flat earthers running the cabinet in this country. People denying the very essence of what is happening. Unbelievable. And how about Australia's first people? 30 times more likely to be incarcerated. No acknowledgement of the inhumanity of the past. Collective amnesia regarding their current and past situation. 
Think about it. And then when we come to trade unionisms, trade unionists legislated out of existence. You're a criminal if you're a trade unionist. A trade unionist has less power, has less rights, I should say, has got no power, but has less rights than if I imported a billion dollars of crystal meth into the country, forced to answer questions in front of star chambers, so-called legally organised. Strikes been outlawed in this country except except so-called enterprise bargaining agreement periods. And we talk about human rights violations in other parts of the world. We only talk about it when it suits our current government's ideological bent. But how about cleaning out our own Aegean stables? And it would take a Hercules, I think, to clean out this Aegean stables regarding human rights violations in this country. I could be walking down the street, pulled into a uh, federal police station, interrogated for two weeks, then chucked out on the street. They can't find any information. If I refuse to answer questions, I can be jailed for up to seven years, not because I've done anything wrong, but because I've refused to answer questions. All legal. Listening devices everywhere. Not that they need them with social media and... uh, GPS uh, tracking phones, mobile phones, so-called smartphones, smartphones for them. So think about it. Next time you hear some politician carry on about human rights violation in China or Iran or Afghanistan or who knows where, raise a few of these issues about human rights in our own country. And let's not forget... When we talk, let's look at our allies in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, an ugly, evil, feudal monarchy, feudal monarchy, public beheadings in the streets, women treated less than chattels, people being liquefied in other peoples in another country because they have the audacity to criticise the feudal monarchy. And these are our allies? Come on. Irony piled on irony. Irony piled on irony. Isn't it about time we took a moment to reflect on the lack of rights and the increasing lack of rights in this country? Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you want to learn more, you can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public. You can go to the Pipsy website, Public Interest uh, Pipsy, Pipsy Pipsy.net. Have a look at what's happening. Download the application form. You can go to the Tanaminaway. You can uh, go to my Facebook page and look look up about Tanaminaway, and I'll talk about that in uh, 10 or 15 minutes' time. And uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, the Facebook page, uh, website, anarchismedia.org is another website you could look at. You could have another Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing, Everybody's Business, Facebook pages, uh, Twitter, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I underscore A-U, and 
the ever 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 unpopular public interest before corporate interests uh, video presentations are back up and running. Just go to YouTube, public interest before corporate interest, and the list goes on and on. It's interesting. The more platforms you create to disseminate information, the less interest there seems to be. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? We're supposedly in a period of, uh, you know, where there's unlimited freedom. About the only freedom you have is the freedom to be irrelevant. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, you know I love statistics and I love words. You know that because words are everything. And we've talked about this in the past, and I'll continue to talk about it. You know, the Morrison government. It's not the bloody Morrison government. It's the Australian government. Mr Morrison does not own the bloody government. I got my tax statement back last year, and I was going through some papers, and I saw my tax statement. And on the back of your tax statement, those of you who still pay tax, um, it kind of breaks down where your money goes, where your little, where your contribution to society goes. And I saw the word welfare. It's not welfare. It's not a dole. It's not a handout. It's a social security benefit. Think about it. But let's get back to reality. Now, I've noticed that the federal government is coming under a little bit of increasing pressure and their mates in News Corporation are coming under increasing pressure because of their inability to say they were wrong about climate change. I mean, this is a group of people that in order to make a buck would sell you the last ticket on the last train to hell. This is the type of mentality these people have, especially in News Corporation and Foxtel and all the other evil arms of this evil empire, which continues to spread misinformation on a minute-by-minute basis about what's happening regarding climate change, the increasing unprecedented situation we find ourselves in. We're in the major capital cities. We're coughing on smoke. Well, obviously, in regional Australia, especially in southeast Australia, they're paying a huge penalty, huge penalty for the inaction. And when we continue to see these, and my apology to dinosaurs, these intellectual midgets carry on about that it's all about the drought and it's got nothing to do with climate change. And then we get these apologists, you know, from the government, cabinet ministers, jump up and down and say, well, well, you know, we only produce 1.5% of the world's CO2 admissions, and it doesn't really matter what we do, nothing will change. Hey, boys and girls, even I, an intellectual midget like me, and intellectual midgets like you who are listening to this intellectual midget, now this is a load of crap. Now we may be producing 1.5% of the world's emissions but we are only 0.25% of the world's population. 
So that means we're punching above our weight by over 500% when it comes to CO2 emissions. I really have to laugh. We're punching away above our weight. We produce 500% emissions more than the average emission per person. Now, look. All right, let's, let's, let's look at the analogy in a different way. They say, well, if we do something about it, what's the point? It's only 1.5%. Well, how about if we took the same attitude to taxation? Now, I'm sure that if you've got a tax bill and you approach the Australian Taxation Office, who's got a very good system of recouping money, and say to the Australian Taxation Office, look, Look, my tax bill's relatively small compared to, you know, a major corporation which actually pays tax, which is hard to find, obviously. Look, my contribution's relatively small, so I've decided this year that I'd like to have a holiday somewhere. I think I deserve a holiday, and I'm going to use that money to have my holiday. I'm not going to pay it to you. It's only small. You won't miss it. You won't miss it. Now, if everybody in Australia had the same attitude, and obviously corporate Australia has the attitude, you'd find there'd be no taxation revenue. So it's about collective responsibility, not that would they, they would know what collective responsibility is all about. So because you're only a small part of the problem, although you're you know, a big part of the problem per head of the world's population, I mean, every little bit helps. Every little bit counts. And to see government ministers, inner cabinet ministers... Men of authority, crap on, you wonder. Now, talking about it, crappy on, I'm a bit disappointed. I'm a bit disappointed in Mr Morrison. (laughs) But I tell you, somebody is really pleased about Mr Morrison's tripping. Because, you see, this is a government of... this This is a show pony government, you know. I'm a show pony, okay? They're show ponies. I know. You know. I know when I see a show pony. Being a show pony myself, you know, just being a voice in the wilderness. You know when you see another show pony. I look at the Morrison-led government. You know, the Morrison-led government, not the Morrison government, but the Morrison-led government. And I think to myself, wow, this is an advertising person's, you know, pin-up example of how to run a government based on perception, not reality. You know, as far as Mr Morrison and the part of the government which he controls, which is very small these days, although he, you know, he brought them back into power, it's a government of perception. It's all about perception, not reality. It's about keeping that surplus, irrespective of what happens on the ground. It's about perception, Perception, perception. Rome burns. But if you can put out the perception that Rome is burning because Rome should burn every few years, well, you get get away with it. But Mr Morrison has a problem. And it starts with D. And you may have noticed over the last few weeks that Mr Dutton has kept his mouth closed. The boy from Queensland, the ex-copper from Queensland the current and the most powerful person in the government who controls the most powerful government departments 
involved in surveillance and security. Border protection. I like that. Border protection. They're trying to stop us getting out or coming in. I haven't decided on that one. So Mr Dutton has been sitting in his garage sharpening that very knife he plunged into Malcolm Turnbull's back. Because Mr Dutton believes he was cheated, the Prime Ministership of this country. He was cheated by Mr Morrison. And Mr Morrison's grab, successful grab for power reminds me of what happened when the dinosaurs died, when that you know huge asteroid hit Earth. And over the next few years, all the dinosaurs died. All those little marsupials, all those little you know, um, mammals running around the feet of the dinosaurs saw their moment and grabbed it. It was the same with Mr Morrison, little non-entity, running around, saw his moment, jumped in, pushed out Mr Dutton. Now, Mr Dutton has never forgiven him. So he's out there letting Morrison hang himself because he knows Morrison's just a show pony. He knows Morrison's just an old advertising hack and he's getting his knives ready, saying to his party, about, oh, I'd say about October this year, he'll have a run at the Prime Ministership. Think about it. And if it comes to pass as it does in the Bible. Remember, you heard it first on the Anarchist World this week. All right, let's move on. I mean, I could be, it can be facetious all day, but it's not going to change anything. Now, I'd just like to remind you that the West Papuan people are still involved in this titanic struggle, this uh, David and Goliath struggle with the Indonesian military. Uh, I am the convener of the West Papuan Independence Office in Melbourne, one of the few independence offices anywhere in the world a pivotal office in the struggle for self-determination and independence. And we are looking for members for the Rent Collective. You can do a one-off donation or you can actually donate on a monthly basis, a dollar a day. If you want to be a, you know, a long-term member of the Rent Collective, that's $366 in 2020. As I understand, it's a leap year because you can divide it by four. So if you want to be a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective, you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or leave a message on 0439 395 489. That's 0439 395 489. I'll send you out the details. And uh, it's very easy to be a member. Uh, we don't need to know your name or address. It's exceptionally easy. So come along. Keep the West Papuan Independence Office afloat. I mean, I'm going to talk about irony. Here we are, sending ships to the Strait of Hamus, a ship, one ship in a plane or two, you know, but when it comes to assisting our brothers and sisters in West Papua who's involved in this life-on-death titanic struggle, which has led to the deaths of, directly and indirectly, of over half a million West Papuans, and from a population of about one million West Papuans, that's a huge number of people over the last 60 years, you know. It's an issue. So this is one way that you can actually do something practical to keep that struggle alive. Now, those of you who are re regular listeners to the program would have followed the struggle to establish the Tanaminoe Mōbō Hina Monument in Melbourne. 
the first major monument to the frontier wars in a major urban centre in this country. Almost, what is it, 228 years after colonisation began. Took that long. And it was a long, torturous struggle. Which started in 2002 when I um, stumbled across this book which was published in 1988 as a bicentenary project on called Jack of Cape Grimm, which outlined the struggle of Tanaminoe, Mulbohina, Putirana, Plantabina and Truganini, five Tasmanian Aboriginals who were brought across to Melbourne town in 1841 to civilise the local blacks and their struggle for freedom, armed struggle for freedom in late 1841. And, uh, you know, I usually pride myself of knowing this country's history. I make it my business to learn about our past, and I couldn't believe my own ignorance about this pivotal moment in Australian history, especially Melbourne history and Victorian history and Tasmanian history. Kick myself. And I kept talking about it to a number of people, including my uh, late wife, Ellen Jose, and they all got sick of me talking about it. They said, well, why don't you do something about it? And in 2004, we organised the Tanaminawaya Morborhina Commemoration Committee, which was involved in a titanic struggle to actually have this monument erected during a period in this in the history of a Melbourne city where... Uh, the city was led by the now discredited conservative reactionary former member of the Liberal Party, Mr Robert Doyle. And after uh, forming an alliance with the local Greens, and especially I'd like to pay a lot of respect and thank the uh, Cafe Oak, the uh, Melbourne Greens councillor who was instrumental in putting this on the agenda in the Melbourne City Council, and I'd also like to pay my respects to the more radical elements of the Indigenous community in Victoria, especially uh, uh, Carolyn Briggs, our uh, patron for the Tanaminawaya Morbohin Indigenous Committee, and Mr Robbie Forp, who's a well-known activist around Victoria, and uh, Lydia Forp. So, you know, we had... You know, radical elements of the Aboriginal population supporting the push. We had more conservative elements concerned, dragging their feet, but that's another story which I'll write about one day. And eventually after 12 years of struggle, which included me standing as Lord Mayor for the City of Melbourne, could you imagine that, in order to raise the issue and make it uh, an issue, Various committee meetings where we threatened to walk out on a number of occasions. Various committee meetings where the Tanaminawaya and Morborhina committee was actually airbrushed out of the picture. But uh, we pushed our way through. And eventually the Tanaminawaya and Morborhina monument was erected at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne in uh, 2016, courtesy of the Melbourne City Council and, uh, and uh, some Indigenous... Um, artists who won the commission after a uh, national competition to design the monument. Now, every year since 2004, we've, hold, we've held the Tanaminawai Morborhina commemoration of the very spot these two men were hung for the heinous crime of resisting white colonisation. Remember, 
They were survivors of thirty year war in Tasmania, which had decimated the po- which had reduced the population from about fifteen to twenty thousand to eighty two people. That's right, eighty two who were deported to Flinders Island of of those eighty two, seventeen were sent to Melbourne. And the Tasmanian government was very keen to get rid of their Tasmanians because it increased the value of real estate, almost doubled, you know. So why am I inviting you to come along? Is it a great... We're we going to have great speakers? Not really. I mean, the ceremony will be broadcast live via Community Radio 3CR, the first hour of the ceremony, from midday to 1pm on Monday the 20th of January. We invite, you to, we invite you to come along to the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street where the monument is to join us for the day. But to me, the 20th of January is a very significant day. To me, the 20th of January is a day in which we as Australians, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, both those who are born here and those who are migrants, can actually acknowledge the sacrifices made by tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Indigenous Australians who were murdered, raped, dispossessed. We can actually acknowledge the legacy of this genocide, this Holocaust, the legacy not only on Indigenous Australians who survived, everything thrown at them, but ourselves as a community. I mean, we do have Anzac Day on the 25th of April when we honour those men and women who died fighting other people's wars in other lands. But to me, the 25th of January is the National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. It is a day when we recognised and honour and commemorate every man, woman and child who was killed, dispossessed during that period, during that 150 years. And it's a day we acknowledge there is unfinished business between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. So I encourage you to come and join us. Bring your family, bring your friends. It's a family uh, day. Bring your family, bring your friends, bring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags, bring flowers. That's Monday the 20th of January. Come and join us midday to 1pm at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne at the Tanaminoi Monument. Then at 1 o'clock we will walk down respectfully, silently, down to the site where we believe these men's bodies lay. On the day, we not only remember Tanaminoe and Mulborhina, who were publicly executed for resisting colonisation, remember those other tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of Indigenous Australians who died in that struggle. Come and join us. I ignore the 26th of January. To me, it's another day. I'm not interested in celebrating the establishment of a penal colony at Botany Bay on the 26th of January, 1788. But I am very interested in acknowledging those people that died in that struggle to maintain their culture, identity. Very interested. So come and join us. Show, uh, pay respects to those people who died. Very few people will be doing this on the 20th of January. 
Now, I would like to remind people that if you live in Wonthaggy in, uh, re- in uh, regional Victoria, the Bass Coast Gippsland Reconciliation Group holds a Tanaminoe Morbohina um, commemoration at 10.30am in the park in Wonthaggy opposite the Information Centre. And if you want further information regarding that event, 0419-361-039. But the event in Melbourne, you don't need to ring anybody, you don't need to clock in, you don't need to bring any money, turn up, be part of it, join us, 12 to 1 at the monument, then walk down to Queen Victoria Market to pay our respects, bring flowers, bring flags. See you on Monday. Uh, it's an important day as far as I'm concerned. I'm an increasing number of Australians see it. It's the day where we pay our respects to those who paid the ultimate price defending their country, their culture, their way of life. It's a day where we acknowledge the unfinished business that exists between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. If you want to send nice letters, send them to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. If you don't want to send me any nice letters, don't write. You can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. I will get back to you. It may take time, but I will get back to you. 0439 395 489. The YouTube channel, Public Interest Before corporate interest. Hopefully we'll be able to do one a week. first one for this year has gone up. It's about a radical idea of how to deal with emergencies and disasters on on the continent. Have a look at it. Also uh, web pages anarchismedia.org pibcpibci.net You can download the application form to join pibcpibci.net Facebook pages Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business, uh, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, the list goes on and on. It's there. Come and join us. And all those of you who are wondering when the dinners are restarting, 5th of February, when the public housing rallies are restarting, 5th of February, when uh, the Wednesday Action Group is restarting, 5th of February. But don't forget, this Monday, midday, Corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne, for the Tanaminoe Morbohina commemoration that recognises all those Indigenous Australians who died in that struggle fighting against the colonisation of their land. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, on your local community radio station. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.